Oh boy. Good morning. It's and always, welcome. always good to check. <laughs> and welcome to your daily Game Face. I'm Dr. Kimberly Lannon from Game Face Sport Consulting. It's our uh, 12th, I think this is our 12th show. Is it? I think so. I want to say, is that a 12th? Yeah, you're probably so. right. Yeah. Well, my, my website is now carrying all of my shows. So I, I saw. believe the last time I looked, they... I think we were on number 11 last week. I saw it because I went to the website because I rebuilt the show. I don't know if you have it in front of you. I do. All your color schemes and all I your see. new stuff from the new website. And... It's beautiful. Yeah. All my new my new uh, decor behind me running. I can see yep. it. It's so, good. So I saw the blog and I saw the shows on there and that's great. Yeah. I just have to go back in and name them all. Can oh. you do that for me? <laughs> actually, um, actually, I'll send you to, if you go to the iTunes uh, I did name them all. Oh, oh, good. Let's yeah. keep them consistent. One of them I named. You're going to find this interesting. What I one of them I named Schrodinger's bear. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> we were talking about the bear in the back yeah. of the cave. Yeah, being there and not being there. Being there, right? Yeah, yeah. That's Schrodinger's awesome. Bear. I'll have to go look. Yeah. So anyway, so welcome to everyone. Lou and I were having our, our little banter this morning, yeah. back and forth. Catching We've had a up. few banters back and yeah. forth this week, haven't we? Yes. So, so the topic today, hopefully, we can kind of stay around that with all of our different little topics is empathy versus sympathy. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And, and then talking about, you know, all the things that are going on in the world. I mean, we could talk about (laughs) being healthy around, you know, whether or not you're staying in your house, not in your house, protesting, not protesting, wearing a mask, not wearing a mask, being happy, not happy, wanting to kill your children or not kill your children. (laughs) These are the topics that have come up for me this week. Um, Tiger King, not Tiger King. Uh, (laughs) The contagion of attitude. Yeah, yeah. More that than too. the viral contagion. Yeah, the viral contagion yeah. of attitude or or bad attitude, as it were, depending. Depending so, on your pers- current perspective, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so one of the things that I thought, because of all the other things that have come up this week, is talk about you know the difference between empathy and sympathy, and and then actually probably talking a little bit about people who don't have it. <laughs> Either. Either. Yeah. Because <laughs> there's some missing piece to them, and what that means about you know when you see that. Because I've seen. A few more examples of that. I think it's largely because people are getting more frustrated. I'm hoping that's what it is, and that it's really not at their seat of their soul. Yep. But nonetheless, I see it. So, so really quickly. By the so, way, my idea of parenting—that's yeah. job two. Is what? Empathy. Oh, is empathy. Installing empathy in your kids. Yes. Well, and that's how you. Job learn. one is attaching action and consequence. Right. Job two is in, is giving them. A sense of empathy. So that's and, and so that's how you if you were talking in different terms of the theories that come up, it's you know, you talk Freud and Freud would say, you know, that you have to, you know, build the moral moral character piece, which is the superego, which would be what you're talking about mm-hmm. in that order. Yeah. Um, you know, you talk about Kohlberg's theory of morality and kids, how they grow up, it's consequence, I'm good, I'm bad, then attaching consequences to good and bad behavior and then really realizing through critical thinking and abstract reasoning, how do you ethically figure out a problem when sometimes the ethics and the morals and all the other pieces don't match? So growth mm. over time. Yeah. So going back to empathy really yep. quickly. So empathy and sympathy, people often think it's the same thing or it's closely related, which it is, but they're very different. So usually it starts off as like someone having pity for someone. You know, it's kind of like, I yeah. feel so sorry for you, which isn't the same thing. Then there's sympathy if you go up the line. And sympathy is really having the experience of... Um, I feel sorry for you, and I, in my in my work, it's really about when people step over the line and join in the person. It's like if I was gonna cry with my patient, that would be sympathy. Yeah. And sort of, you sort of lose your ground of detaching from their experience and yours, and it becomes more one. And sort of you lose yourself in that, and that's not the healthier way. Mm-hmm. And that's where friendships come into play. Like a lot of friendships yeah. are just really sympathy-based. Like, oh, do you know what happened to me? And you don't go and talk about what happened to that person. You end up saying, oh, that happened to you? Well, this is what happened to me, yeah. you know? Yep. And then there's then it gets to empathy. And empathy is all those things, but at a distance, being able to understand the feeling that someone's having and actually being able to see it and feel the emotion, but giving yourself emotional distance from it. So you don't join it, but you have the experience of the emotion and the actual circumstance. And you can imagine what it's like to be in the person's shoes without stepping in. Right. So it gives you that nice ground to be able to see it from a distance, to have multiple perspectives generated. So you don't get lost in someone else's lane. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There you go. And then, and then if you have good empathy, and you have that good ground, then that leads to compassion. 
even if you don't agree with someone, even right. if you don't like an idea, if you don't like, you still can have compassion for where someone's coming from. Because sometimes people say, how can you manage blah, blah, blah type of patient? Or how can you manage that behavior? And I always say, I find something really good about the person, something that I like, even yep. when other people can't find something likable. And I manage to generate the perspective around the compassion piece of what's going on in that person's life that nobody else would understand that would explain the behavior and reasoning why they're doing it, even for the most horrific things in the world. Yes. Yeah. You know, and I'm going to tell you now that last week at the end of the show, I had a little allergy thing going on and I could feel it coming on again. Okay. It must be the studio. Must be the studio. All of a sudden I'm like, oh, and I bring, didn't bring tissues in. It's, it's not all your fault, Lou. <laughs> Lou's, Lou's looking around him for a Might have for paper tissue. towels. I don't know. I know. I'll just use my sleeve. <laughs> I should be okay. But I just want to make sure everyone so, knows. I'm not sick. I just have wicked allergies. Let me go back and recap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because at first I was going to say this was the bourbon argument. Mm -hmm. You know, all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. Right. And I was going to say uh, all sympathy is empathy, but not empathy. All empathy is sympathy. But you made a distinction. Right. Uh, and it's about... Um, it's about your attachment to the situation. Right. S sympathy is introducing some of the intrinsic biases of the situation. Right. Empathy is to be able to look at it clinically. From back here. Yeah. The and, observer. Yeah. Right. And not be, not be caught in the uh, emotional trappings of it. You right, understand it, but you're not into the biases of it. Right. And so you have that, I mean, that's the difference between friendship and a therapist, essentially. I mean, not the only difference, but that's go, a yeah. big one is yeah. like, how do yeah. you know, you know, oftentimes I'll hear people say, you know, my, my parent or my husband or my wife doesn't know why I have to go to therapy when they have me to talk to. The yeah. difference is, is what you just said is that the, the person that's on the other side of that in the friendship or the partnership or the spouse or, or family member, they lose the ground to be able to step back and observe because in some way they are involved in it. Now, that doesn't mean that those people in your life can't be empathetic and learn that because there's many, I mean, that really is what gets us to be happier, healthier, relationally mm -hmm. um, interconnected. So that's what we would go to and I would want to teach families and that's what I do teach, hopefully, yeah. families to do or, or people to do is try to have empathy for one another so you don't lose perspective so you can gain yeah. other alternatives in your head. How about this? Yeah. Uh, sympathy is uh, being very concerned with the other person's emotional state. Yep. Empathy is being concerned with their, or understanding their circumstance. I would go that empathy is that and the first piece of what you said, sympathy. it's like the com combination of okay. both. It's like the one step up. If you go, if you were thinking of like how I gave it in a linear fashion is like pity, sympathy, yep. compassion. I mean, empathy, then compassion, because it leads to that end point right. with the, the adding in of those pieces. Yes. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. what I would say. Yeah. I can, that's, how I, that's how I conceptualize it sort of in my head so that you can see it as a stepwise thing so that it, but most people get stuck in that sympathetic spot because you, we as human beings tend to immediately identify it with ourselves. Can we identify? Yes. Can we relate? If we can't, that's usually when we tap out, but usually you, that's when you hear people say, oh, that happened to you? Guess what happened to me? Yeah. And then the story of the other person gets lost, which is where the empathy drops off because now it's, I'm joining you in the experience, right? Right. And yeah. so it's, it's hard to have an, a therapeutic impact in that way purely because you lose the empathy. But when you go to things like, um, you know, a support group, Support groups do a lot of sympathizing yes. because they they have a universal shared experience. So the stories back and forth are basically the empathy, but it's interrelated so tightly because everyone can step into the person's shoes. Yeah. So that's where I would say a circumstance where that works really well and we know it works really well, but then it kind of um, migrates into and manifests into some sections of empathy because people have to because you can't move sure. forward and get progress if you... If you sit in your poop, <laughs> but that yeah, but the two different tools. For example, yeah. you talk about people who are in support groups having uh, people with similar circumstances in the support groups. That's valuable on right. a number of different levels. But you also can use the more clinical, empathetic ear too. A, right, you know, a psychologist. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and I think that the more people get exposed to that, or the more people hear language which is important. We talked last week about the neural connections being changed and rewired and all those things a little bit and over the shows that the more exposure you have to language that's actually 
movement forward related to identifying being able to be um, emotionally distant. That doesn't mean cold. It means just stepped right. outside of the experience, but being able to see it with clearer glasses, being able to do that, the better a person gets being able to be in the world and, and understanding, maybe have more tolerance, more patience, more kindness, more all yeah. those things for oneself and for other people. Um, well, a good know. illustration for this for me personally is I'm, I'm doing three addiction shows now mm. with people in addiction recovery, right. and I'm not a former addict, so right. that's a completely different mindset. So you have to you have to understand that mindset as much as you can, and you can't without a shared experience. You can't completely without a shared experience, but you can grow in empathy. You can right. start to understand their positions and mm -hmm. the thought process more. So, so that's a great example of you know I've been doing this for twenty four years in in practice per se, and um, I often, especially at the beginning of my career, when I looked a lot younger and I was <laughs> working with veterans and yeah. people that were you know coming over from Iraq and I you know in Afghanistan and yeah. and people in addiction, I I was getting flooded with you know, how can you possibly understand you're so young? How can you possibly right. understand you haven't been to war? How can you possibly understand oh, yeah. if you're not in addiction? Yeah, the results of war are another great example. How can, how can you empathize if right. you haven't had the shared experience? Right, but and so can. so coming from the genuine place, mm -hmm. which is, you know, which is what I sort of learned to do because it was that quick, you know, deer in headlights thing, especially when I was younger. I was like, oh my God, you're right. Yeah. But <laughs> what it really is, is I learned very quickly that I don't have to have the actual experience to know that, if my arm gets blown off by, you know, yeah. uh, a mortar, then it's going to hurt. I know that. I right. don't have to experience to know it. I can empathize with that. But I need the person to teach me what it feels like. I right. need the person to educate me. And a lot of times we're not willing or open to hearing what the person's actual experience is. So we don't even know. We come in thinking we already know. I don't know. I need, I mean, I have a general sense now of doing this for so long that right. a person in addiction has particular pieces to them that that are very common that are predictable in general but the story or the person from, coming from you know Iraq or Vietnam or Korea their story is going to have some similar shared experience but they still have to educate me so I know how to empathize with their particular experience but you don't have to actually have the full no experience so when you talk about addiction I mean I, I a grand portion of my um, work is with people with addiction athletes and just kind of the normal mainstream of my clientele and and then I teach at the college in the addictions program so I see tons of stories they all have predominantly shared experience right. which has taught me over time how to understand right. it but then being able to empathize because I'm not in addiction and I haven't had to be in recovery but I've watched the walk of so many people. Yeah. Both, you know. Then over time, it, it builds that. But you have to have the eye for it. Whereas a lot of people have it in their families, and you know this probably is people have it in their families, and um, they have no patience, no tolerance for it, and that's understandable. But when you can step back from it and you're not in it, right? It, it's a totally different way of looking at it and giving a perspective for some people that really want to stay in and help the person. I'll never have a first-hand perspective of it, <clears throat> but right. you talk to enough people, you go through the stories with them enough, and you start to understand it to the point where you can, where you can be, um, useful is the wrong word, where you can be engaged. Right. Right, and, and you've got to understand your limitations. Like, I have never been there, you know, but I've talked to a lot of people have. doesn't mean I'm an expert on it, but it means right. I have more empathy for it than I did at the beginning. I right. understand more than I did at the beginning. Well, and, that, and that's where, like, if you talk about um, recovery for, for anything, but we'll talk about addiction because it's an easier way of looking at it because so many people can relate. If you talk about recovery, when you see a person who's doing really good recovery, by and large, you're going to see that they have a support system, whether it's one person or multiple people yeah. that have empathy, that have allowed the person to become empathetic for themselves with that. That's where the piece is that kind of gets them into the recovery piece even more because People are showing empathy, allowing that person to have a totally corrective experience of their childhood or their family of origin experience to make it so that they're not judged or right. put down or the things that weren't empathetic growing up. You know, I mean, 25-year-old isn't all of a sudden an addict at, at 25 just because. That started at youth in some way. The, the seeds are laid. It doesn't mean they were using when they were seven, yeah. but something was going on up through the years to make them end up in a position where they didn't have enough empathy and compassion for themselves to not engage or to disengage when they got into it too far. Using is so a Using is a symptom. Right. Often more than the uh, dual diagnosis, using is a right. symptom.
Well, so and, and we I think back in the beginning shows, I think I talked about that a little bit is alcohol. Any any ism is really the symptom of the problem. The problem yeah. is depression, anxiety, bipolar illness, trauma, um, yeah. some underlying piece that's mental or physical sometimes in medical. Like it could be diabetes. It could be cardiac issues. It could be all kinds of different things combined. Um, and by the way, that's yeah. the that's the side door into your empathy. Yes. Especially with addicts, because the, the the root of this were the same things that we all deal with. Right. Anxiety, depression. Right. You know, fear, self-esteem issues, whatever it is. Right. And it's yeah. and it's and then you in in the root of it is for some people, they don't go to the ism. They have other ways. And it's yeah. about having enough empathy for yourself to say, I deserve a different way. I just don't know how to generate. And there's the perspective taking. Right. Most people in addiction, I'd say all the ones I've ever met. They don't know how to generate. It's not that they don't want to generate. They don't know how to generate a different perspective to look at their situation. It's either all or nothing. Right. It's either I'm not or I am. It's either I'm drinking or I'm not. I'm drugging or I'm not. And then when they're not, then what do you do? Because how do you replace a behavior that has been keeping you going and keeping your underlying issue in check, right. sort of? Yeah. How do you know? And, and that's where that's where the real – that's where – self-empathy or self-compassion and also outsider compassion is helpful. And so many people that I see fail, fail as in like, you know, either pass away from an overdose and that's the, you know, the fail. Um, they don't ever really have historically, at least in my anecdotal evidence, someone that stepped in and has the ability to show them the empathy to get them to the place of self-empathy. Right. You know, it's just, or that, or the person's so deeply wounded at the, at the ego, the level of reality testing in their mind that they just don't have it in them at that point to go there. Right. You know, you think of like, um, Robin Williams, Robin Williams, if, if anyone doesn't know, I mean, he was a very depressed person. He, I mean, his outward comedic sense is all, you know, a sarcastic movement towards, you know, his ism of being able to contain yeah. the underside of the sadness and all the things. I certainly didn't know him, but I've read enough about his condition and what happened and how his history yeah. fell out. And someone like Robin Williams got to a point where I think if you listen to his family members and everybody, that the empathy that he needed, even if it was there, he was so not able to go there for himself that it just never connected, which yeah. is that hopeless... And and feeling is that you get you know someone says oh how do you how does someone do that and right. how does someone kill themselves well someone commits suicide because at that point there is no hope and to wrap your head around that like for maybe you and me we're like how can that be possible but when you take that empathetic stand and you look at someone's history mm -hmm. and their their way of perceiving something it makes sense because they get into a point where they don't feel there's any way out of that little box that they've put themselves in right. or they feel that they've been put in and that it's easier to do this. It's, and so the, the lack of self-empathy, you know, that's the top piece on the outside too is the likelihood is that there was no true empathy. There yeah. might have been some pity, some sympathy, but true empathy for someone. And it's super hard. That's like, you well, know. Well, how do you empathize with a Robin Williams? How do I empathize with him? How, how does one person? How does a person do it? Because he's a superstar, lives a completely, <clears throat> completely different life, <clears throat> and we understand why some people might get depressed to the point of suicide. But you don't understand why a star does, why a rich person does, why a successful person, quote unquote, successful person does. So a person like say Robin Williams or someone in that in that um, you know comedians are notorious for having these undersides of sure. sadness, right? So you know you look at someone like him or Jim Carrey or you know. Um, uh, Louis, Louis Anderson, Louis Anderson, yeah. and you know pe people that have struggled. Go down the list. That it's not in yeah. their celebrity dumb that happens. It's prior. It's yeah. the. Um, it's not in. It's not once they've made it. It's it's the thing that didn't happen when they were coming up through. That ended up making them the star. Had yeah. had you put in empathy and taught them to deal with it better in a different way, would they have been a celebrity based on their yeah. comedic? St Probably but, not. But it's the addiction analogy. You look at an, yeah. you look at an addict and say, well, why don't you just stop using? And yeah. if you haven't been in that frame of mind, you don't understand why. Right. Uh, a lot of people would look at a Robin Williams and go, "You're rich. You got mansions. You're incredibly successful. Why aren't you just happy?" Right. Yeah. You know, people don't have trouble getting themselves in that position. Right. Because it because people don't understand the 
they're looking at, it, at the unidimensional standard as opposed to the three-dimensional yeah. person that is sitting there with all of their stuff that, yep. you know, because people equate, oh, money, wealth, fame, celebrity, you must be happy. And and I often tell people, even if they're not, you know, I, I work with people in that, in yep. that status, you know, um, set, but there's people that are in, unhappy yep. because the void, there's an emotional... You know, it's almost like the childhood void, the little, the little Robin versus the adult yep. Robin. And if you, if the two aren't talking, as as silly as that sounds, if the adult Robin didn't talk to the child Robin that learned how to be hurt and angry and sad and feel less than and all those things, then there, the there's a disconnect. There's no self-talk empathy yeah. for oneself. Childhood and, and wounds. And he came with yeah. mental health issues yeah. coming up through, plus addiction, plus parenting issues. Like he had a yeah. multitude of issues behind him. And if you don't look at the whole person and see it like that, and you just say, oh, well, look at all the fame and fortune and the great stuff and the parties and all that. Yeah, that's, again, symptom of the problem. Yeah. It's, you know, child actors, you you know, you talk about yeah. child actors that come up through. I mean, Charlie Sheen struggled, obviously, we know, right? Yep. Yep. <laughs> I mean, there's a perfect example of someone who give had me a child it actor. Give me a child actor who hasn't struggled. Right. Yeah. It's very, very rare yeah. because the, and, and I think, I mean, if I could think of any other example, I, I don't know if I'd have it because that's such a great way to watch the whole thing right out in public from childhood rearing. And permissive parenting, indulgent parenting, even though it might be authoritative in some ways or authoritarian and having all the pieces there because there's so many people involved. Now the way the person shapes their reality is now all over the place. And so by the time they're an adult or 15, you know, um, now they're like, okay, now what do I do? How do I self-soothe to make everyone still like me, love me, want me, do this, do that? And it's they can't lose their cuteness. Right. So now cute little, you know, Michelle Tanner on, you know, the, you know, the Olsen twins. Yeah. They, yeah, you know, yeah. now they, they hit their 18, 19, 20 years old. Now they're much older than that, but they yeah. all had addiction issues. They yeah. all had issues because and that goes directly to the self-esteem issue. I mean, I don't know specifics about them. I just know what I've yeah. seen in the news, but one would say in my profession that you have these obvious in your face we can all watch it going on things and then you become an adult and of course the prediction is that exposure rate lack of empathy being driven being driven in an adult world as a child i mean there's so many pieces there but it leads to a person doesn't have a good sense of self of who one is it's so skewed i was going to say the reason that is is because these young child actors and everything most of the focus of everything in their lives is external Right. It's about their role. It's about their job. It's about their career. People pleasing. Yeah. Being number one. Making people like them. Yeah, but even parents are probably, you know, more concerned with the external than centering it on the child themselves. So yeah. there is no center. There is no self-center. Right. Well, and so if you think of like all the um, child actors that you know we grew up with, I mean, look at you know people from Good Time series, right? Yeah. And and people from. Um, uh, like Lindsay Lohan yeah. and and uh, Macaulay Culkin yeah. and look at the things that they've gone through. They're very much in the limelight of you watch their parenting, you watch their who they were exposed to, the lifestyle and so on and so forth all the way up through. And then, of course, this is going to happen. It happens over and over and over again, which is I think that, I mean, to Hollywood's credit in terms of empathy, Hollywood came down a lot in the past probably 15 years on child actors and and how they're reared and what's happening and protection and and not letting them run amok and having people exposed but still obviously there's that out there you know i mean demi lovato would tell you straight up that you know the drive and the push for the perfection and need for it to be a certain way and people offering her x age that was really young you know drugs alcohol sex you know, yep. and how do you at that young stage find empathy when you don't even know it yet? Because <laughs> yeah. you haven't had enough opportunity as an age, just as chronological age, right. to find that. So you don't have that. It's yeah. it's just it's just you have um, no frame of reference. You think this is the way it is, right? And yeah. the ex- and the exposure rate. So you know, no frame of reference from other people, but then you don't have enough exposure because you're you're living in the little space of what's being provided for you, and you're being taught that that's normal. Yeah. And you're like, what is... Yeah, a normal kid. I remember myself uh, getting out of the house when you first started getting out of the house and going over a friend's house and you see other family dynamics and you go, oh, wait a second. Because your family dynamic is all you know. 
You think that's the way it is. Then you look at an, another couple, another set of parents, another a household, and you go, oh, wow. You know, that's it, how it, it is. It, it happens different ways, or, you know, there are many ways to go about this. Right. So, and, and I think when you're, I mean, we're talking really specifically about famous kids growing mm -hmm. up in this way, but when you're in that limelight, you don't have anyone because you don't, there's nope. a trust issue. You can't just go over to a friend's house and, and see what the other side lives like because right. it's so contained because you don't trust anybody or the family doesn't trust or the agent doesn't trust that you because everyone's wanting something from you. So how do you regulate that into like everyday normal life with people? I mean, it's sort of the same thing. You might not have the fame and the fortune and all those things, but people still are, you know, if they are self-verifying and they're trying to confirm their biases, they're going to join you. They're going to be right. with you. They're going to influence you. You know, if you're a person that's seeking out, you know, drugs and alcohol and, and you're going to find people, at, you know, as a 16 year old to do that, you're going to find someone that's going to give that to you yeah. or they're going to find you because it's there. It finds a person and people, because people often ask parents will say, how are they getting it? How's my child getting it? And, you know, in my head, I have that. Oh, really? Because they, <laughs> because they, the, the box around them is like, that can't possibly right. be. It's, and I say, it's right around the corner. Yeah. I'm like, how can that be? You know, I, I mean, my main office is in Bedford and, you know, Bedford Mass is like this, you know, it's like Bedford Falls and it's a wonderful <laughs> life. It's very sweet and yeah. quaint and lovely and the people are lovely and everything. And it has a huge drug problem. Yeah. And it's in the teenage section. And people are like, how is that possible? It's right around the corner. It's yeah. right there. It's not coming in from, you know, Boston or, or Chelmsford or Bill Ricca. It's right there. It's because there's a call for it because there's so much yeah. underlying sense of dis-ease in people that it's there. And you're watching right now in the past, you know, few weeks, obviously, since the coronavirus stuff has come out, I'm watching more and more people ramp up in alcohol use, more and, people, more, and more people, kids, teenagers ramp up in drug use, yep. um, domestic violence is up, all the things that are the go-tos of people in frustration, managing the voids. Yep. And it's, and it's, and it, you know, in most terms, it goes back to lack of empathy and understanding for oneself to say, I really probably shouldn't do this. This isn't probably my best choice. Yeah. <laughs> this is going to end poorly for me somewhere down the line, sooner rather than later, especially because people are now not, people are so hyper-focused on what everyone else is doing um, because they're bored. Yeah. it's highlighted. Everyone else is, you know, it's Mrs. Kravitz. And if people don't know what <laughs> who Mrs. Kravitz was from yep. Bewitched yes. back in the day. I'm dating myself. That's awful. No, Am I really no. that old? No, you can't be. Uh, so Mrs. Kravitz looking <laughs> yeah. out the window going, Abner, Abner, yeah. do you know what she's doing? <laughs> We're a society of Mrs. Kravitzes now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So and, and so and to our, I, we were talking before we went on the air today about um, sort of the segue of empathy and sympathy and being able to look at the. Um, I like the concept of self-empathy, though. That's not normally how I think about it. Okay. Because you have to. Um, that's an important part of this. Yeah. And it's important to, it's important to feel like, it's important to understand the way you feel and how you act on it is the next big question. Right. But it's okay, sometimes it's okay to let yourself off the hook because you feel frustrated, because you feel bored, because you feel hungry, you know, right. for whatever it is you're substituting. It's right. Like people tend to kick themselves constantly and that constant self-talk creates self-esteem issues and even more major problems. Right. So and, and so it connects to all the things we've always talked about, which is the hungry, angry, lonely, tired. What do people do when they're hungry, angry, lonely, tired? They don't halt, you know, the acronym for it and say, okay, I need to look at this for myself and have, okay, I'm bored. That's why I'm this yeah. or I'm whatever. But what do people do? They engage. Yeah. I'm bored. I'll eat. I'm bored. I'll drink more. I'm angry. I'm going to lash out at you in the grocery store and yell at the lady going down the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm tired, so I'm irritated, therefore, what, you know, I mean, so instead of it looking inward and going, all right, what am I, what am I right now and why? Yeah. Because I've been sitting in my house for five weeks. I mean, I had a client yesterday on the phone with me, I was telling you this before we went on, that she got on the, on the Zoom call and she leaned in and she was like, I'm going to kill my children. <laughs> and she was kidding, but she had, you know, yeah. she did it under, because she knew, she's like, I'm going to kill them and I'm probably going to kill my husband and I'm going to jump out the window. <laughs> and I said, and of course, being a, what I have to do, I said, now, do you really mean that? Yeah. And we had to go through the checklist and yeah. making sure, and she's like, really, Dr. Kim, I, 
<laughs> I'm just saying it. And it was, we went down the list of like, I'm just so frustrated. And what we found was actually a pretty simple solution. And, and she went out and did it immediately, which is she's been in lockdown. True, she's a purist. She's a true lockdown person. She's yep. been there forever. She she's not goes going anywhere. In and out of her backyard and in. That's it. No front yeah. stoop. She's very afraid. She's, you know, whatever. I'm just happy more houses don't have bell towers because <laughs> we'd be, we'd be <laughs> well, in big problems. We'd well, have the, big problems. So this is the thing. And yeah. I said, you cannot think that you are going to be stable and not going cuckoo with three children under the age of five. And a husband oh. who's always at work, oh, and now everybody's home together in the same house and never leaving except to go get groceries. One person, the same person, and and then quarantining all the food. Like she's very staunch because yeah. she's she's into the everything is bad. Yep. And I said y you need to get in the car, <laughs> and you need to go for a drive for two hours without yeah. any child and without your husband. Yeah. And roll the windows down and sing and scream and and she did it. Yeah. And she was like. That was so amazing. <laughs> but because she just needed to release that. It was this very simple fix, but she was stuck in, this is terrible, this is awful. Yep. She couldn't generate that perspective to get out of it. And it was just simple. I'm like, you're not going to go you know, hang out and like play ball in the middle of the park with your kids, but you can go do something for yourself. And it's not, but she didn't let herself do it. She thought she was doing something bad. She was going right. to hurt somebody by doing it. And I'm like... You're not doing anything bad, but people yeah. are so it, you know whatever they are on the continuum of self Again, empathy, uh, self self empathy. I've right. been cooped up. I need to get out. I right. need some space on my own, right. and not feeling guilty enough about that to block you from it, right? Because it's healthy. Exactly. Yeah. Right. And, and put your and mask able... on first. That's what every exactly. attendant tells us. Put your mask on first. Exactly. And 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 go and do and be able to do and you know and you're not going out and like having a party you're just being you know and right. she's you know and it was like ask, it, it's like the ask for permission is it okay to do that yes it's okay to do that you're not going you know I mean not making light even though five weeks ago we were talking about this this way is you're not going out and licking people right. and no one's licking you you're you're no. doing the right thing and of anybody you definitely are not going to do that so being you know considerate for yourself but God give yourself a break because you have to do the like what you're just saying the self awareness check of where am I at and what do I need yeah. before I go crazy you know and that and this is a spike this isn't just with her she was just a great example yesterday because no. it had some sense of humor to it because she was she knew she was like it's gonna it's but gonna be people, bad most people would carry that attitude for a couple weeks yeah. and everything would suffer yeah whereas you just in essence let off a little steam right or do a little self-care to diffuse that right and you come back with a whole different perspective right and and so in in that whole it's a whole guilt guilty about self-care too which is well, something the, a lot of people have to be right yeah. and so the first few weeks that people were in the in the quarantine a lot of moms that i was seeing were saying things like i feel bad for my kids i feel guilty that i'm not spending enough time because i have to work and you know yeah. now we've moved to i'm going to kill them yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so i feel so guilty because i want to kill my kids right so yeah now yeah. so now this past week really specifically i've been more and more telling people that okay it's been five weeks essentially so now i think it's time to change the structure you know now you you've been doing you've tapped out you finger painted you've you've played cards parcheesi yep. monopoly now it's time to switch things around so generating ideas and perspectives that are like okay instead of having everyone do i mean now kids are mostly back in school for online so yep. the kids are doing that but for the adults it's okay how do you do something different given that your kids are doing that? Because, you know, if you're not working, which unfortunately a lot of people aren't, right. now what do you do to make sure that you don't go stir crazy and have the hungry, angry, lonely, tired and act out in a bad way on it or take it out on your kids or your spouse or your pet or whatever? Um, that's the, that's the self-awareness, self-empathy piece of I'm OK. We're all doing this. Lots of people are doing the right thing here for themselves. I'm not alone. Being able to look at that because a, a lot of people have lost perspective and being like, I know it's not just me. People aren't all staying home. And I'm like, yeah, you're comparing yourself to, you're seeing, again, news, seeing like small pockets of people right. going out and doing this, but it looks like it's thousands and thousands of people running amok when in fact right. that's not. And I'm like, everyone's in the same boat. Everyone either, you know, you know, you'll get the flat. Everyone's always got an argument like, well, no, not everyone isn't working. And right. We right. could go all day doing sure. around and round back and forth. But by and large, everyone's in the same boat. Most people are supposed to be quarantining. Most people are trying not to spread most. So at the end of the day, how do you generate something so you don't go stir crazy or make yourself feel bad?
And that's the perspective shifting is how do you make your day structure different exercise? People aren't exercising enough. People are sitting there watching the TV, eating, weight gain. I've had many clients tell me they put on at least 10 pounds and I'm I'm like, why? I'm like, I don't know. I just get unmotivated to go out. I was there last night. I was standing in the kitchen going, I can't stop eating. I just (laughs) want to eat. (laughs) And are you eating good things or are you eating not so good things for your life? Sometimes I have a little self-discipline, but I I generally, I only keep good things in the house, basically. So, I mean, I splurge once in a while, but generally I don't put something in front of me that I shouldn't be eating. So that's good. Yeah. So that's good. Well, I have, as a side note, I have the, the deficit of having five houses away from me is a, is a homemade, um, ice cream place oh god yeah and they are open for you know you drive in and order and they come and bring it to you this is all bad because <laughs> <laughs> my husband will look at me and say ice cream tonight i'm like no 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 i know right yeah because <laughs> they're open till nine i'm like no <laughs> yeah had a few more I, first of all i'm a pizza snob anyway but, okay but we've had a few more frozen pizzas than we normally would have just out of convenience and by the way i that I was telling you before, went to the grocery store yesterday. It was a horrible experience. Yeah. And it's like, I'm, you know, I'm the guy I used to be in every other day. In normal times, I'm in every other day. You know, now I, d- I don't want to go. I'll sit there. I'm going to put something in my freezer so I, don't, I can save a trip to the grocery store or something. And, yeah. I, and I, think a lot of, I think a lot of people are doing that because, you see, now I, we, again, talking before the show went up today, that I have, knock on wood, been very lucky that I have not actually had to stand in a line outside for whatever reason I've hit it at a right time yeah. to not have to do that. Yes. Um, I've driven by and seen the line, which may have deterred me. <laughs> that might have happened. It moves quickly. It's yes. not the worst thing in the world. Um, but, yeah. but I haven't had to stand it. But the the thing I've noticed in the past week, especially, and I said this to you, is, um, and this is a correlation to the weight gain, the cake making aisle, the cookie making aisle, <laughs> the bread product yeah. aisle, the Entenmann's, God love Entenmann's, you know, yep. I mean... <laughs> But, yeah, everyone's getting heavier because clearly there's a lot of baking going on. And I have actually baked a couple of things, but I do sugar-free, gluten-free. But clearly, you know, the whole aisles aren't like that. So you know that people are packing it on. And from doctor to client, I'm saying, that's great. But that sugar that you're not used to, all the extra stuff, the butter, the fat, all the stuff that you're not used to, that's a mood changer. So when you start well, That's why they it, start eating it. Yeah. It's, that's it's, why they eat it. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's You're already feeling kind yeah. of stuck. So it's like, I'll yeah. bake something. Now yeah. I'm going to eat a pie or in in an, uh, you know, a whole carrot cake, which I know somebody that's probably listening that did that. <clears throat> wow. Just saying. Um, you know, and they said they didn't, but I know they yeah. did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did not eat that. Yeah. Huh? yeah. Um, but the whole, you know. When you're not used to doing that, or you're do, used to doing a little bit at a time, or whatever, all of a sudden, if you're already in a bad mental space, which is you're either anxious or depressed or feeling down and blah, and then you add in sugar, huh, yeah, the sugar generates so much of the serotonin and the dopamine, and it gets it going, and then it crashes. Then it goes away. Yeah. And now you need it again. And if yeah. you don't have it, now it's you know it's like what am I going to do? So people are, I, I imagine, and seeing it across my clientele. People are, you know, overindulging in things that they aren't used to. And then one, it does. It takes two seconds to start doing cookies every day, ice cream every day, potato chips every day, you know, and all. And those are the aisles that I'm noticing. I'm still noticing that fruits and vegetables are still there. Yep. And and then those middle aisles, the ones that are bright and fluffy and wonderful and yeah. fattening and yummy. Well, they're all, again, they're, I'm, all, they're all emotional self-soother yeah, aisles. I'm packing in more processed foods. Yeah. Just again, just to avoid the trips out, you know, more processed foods than I normally eat because it's just easy. You put it in the cabinet and it's there when you, you know, when you need it. Right. Yeah. And I think, and I think that that's, I think that's what a lot of people are doing because if you're not used to um, cooking every night, or if you're a family that only cooks, you know, twice a week and they have takeout and all this stuff. Now it's oh, okay. We don't want to spend the money on the takeout. We don't want to go out. All that's now it's right. it's quick quick fix, you know, out of the box into which is the worst thing people can be doing because that's so bad for you. It's loaded with all yep. kinds of stuff and it just feeds the fire of emotional eating. And yep. people don't realize that anything out of the box, as much as it sounds, you know, sort of kind of base. Yeah. It, 
anything out of a box is going to be processed enough that it's going to draw you back in to have to have more stuff that's like that. It's very hard. It's very easy to go that way. Yep. But to come back from it is the clean out. It's the clean your system out. The whole thing have to go back to something clean to get it to regulate right because your whole sugar level, which imbalances your emotional state, changes. Yeah. And to get it to you, – you could do a couple of days of ice cream in a row and now you're hooked. To get yourself back away from that, it's like – it's like you're dragging your knuckles and yep. like, oh, this is so hard, you know, because yep. it's it's so addicting. So the sugars that are in things or the in the carbs or the breads or things like that that people aren't used to eating. Or if they are, it's only minimal times and then people go to that because they're emotional self-soothers. That's yep. All those foods are emotional self-soothers. But having that um, – it, it's funny. When I talked about my, my weight loss and at one point I lost, I don't know, 45, 50 pounds yeah. at that point. And I used to describe it to people as – I just didn't eat stupid 100% of the time. Right. I didn't really have a diet. Just ate smarter, started. Uh, it was accountability. It was, right. I was counting my calories and counting the calories I was burn, burning and just stayed on top of it. And that led me to making bargains. Like, right. you know, I can have this tonight if I have this now. Right. Or I can have this and it keeps me uh, satisfied longer so I won't eat that next meal. Right. So I can keep my count down and I don't have to hit the treadmill for 200 more calories right. later in the day. So you start making deals at that point. And so that's the thing. You can have a little ice cream, but you gotta, you got to be able to put the brakes on. Right. Because if you sit there and you back off like the ice cream, or for me it was an occasional slice of pizza. Right. I, there's a place in town in, where I live that I love the pizza there. Right. And it wasn't, you can't deny yourself because right? you're just going to end up going for it and going right. for it in a big way. Right. You know, take it a little once in a while, but, you know, understand, you know, just put the brakes on. And, and I you think, can't just deny yourself totally. And, and I think that that's, I mean, and that's kind of applies to so many things. It's the yeah. moderation. It's finding the balance. It's, you know, not overindulging and not restricting. It's the all or nothing. And people yeah. do that. In, in now, and I know a couple of my friends have, you know, done Weight Watchers and they do the points and, and they lose weight on it. But I often cringe because like on the weekend, they'll say, yeah. I banked 31 points. So I'm going to have blah, yeah. blah, blah. And I'm like, in my head, doing all the medical knowledge that I have going, yeah, but you bank those points. And just because you have them doesn't mean if you should eat them because what's going to happen. Right. And I've explained this ad nauseum to several people and they still do it because it's like that reward that they're giving themselves for being good. Right. It's the psychology of, you know, the, the word, like I'm being good. So therefore I can reward myself in it. And it speaks to the child in them that wasn't good. And they emotionally, I mean, it's so psychologically driven and so intertwined with right. that base of, I can give myself something because I've done a good job, but you get, so I always say, Hey, you have banked 31 points, let them ride, let them fall off. You bank them because you were doing a really good thing for yourself and being healthy. Just because you got an extra 31 points doesn't mean now you eat two slices of pizza and a Big Mac because you need to gain the 31 points. It's, it's the, it's that it's like, stay in the moderation, reward yourself with the fact that like, Hey, I banked the points and now I can let them ride. But people don't look at it like yeah. that. They're like, I need the reward because they are filling that void. And there's, going back to the beginning of the conversation, it's that's self-empathy, but driven in the wrong way. Right. When a person's filling that 31 points or filling that void over and over again with, I earned it, I did it with the excess, not like one piece of pizza or the ice cream once a month or something like that. That's filling the void of the self-empathy yep. in that space of, I deserve this because or, or this check is me reward. on this. The positive self-empathy in that case, I think what worked for me, and you can check me on it, is that you can't do a diet that is so restrictive. Right. You can't be hurting yourself. Right. Because you can't sustain it. Right. You won't. Eventually, you're going to give in. you got to right. create a relationship with food and exercise that... You, you can live with. That, right. That's that you not can keep labor. going. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's why it's so, you know, you see people that do um, diets. That's the difference between lifestyle change right. and diet. People get into the diet and the diet yo-yos you up and down. And what is it doing? I mean, physiologically, it's changing your brain chemistry to be, you know, on or off. Yeah. And there's a really specific structure in the brain that turns on and off on its own and you can also train it to turn on and off based on restriction or non-restriction. So when you're doing the dieting, that's what it's doing. So it's dysregulating that system from being able to do it. So when you stop the diet, which people do, they do it till they lose the amount of weight they want to, they stop it, what happens? Now that little switch in the brain, 
which by the way is called the hypothalamus, mm -hmm. goes on off on it's confused it's on and off and on and off right. and it doesn't know what to do because now you've changed the pattern and you stopped now it only knows what to do which is to go back to what it knew just like human beings do and now you gained it all back and then some right because the switch is so confused which is why when you do the lifestyle thing that we've talked about and you've done and i do is you stay to what you no. So there's not a lot of variation. It's not tricking your brain. You're not playing right. barter and bargain for time and points and weight. And I did this and two pounds. And so it's about if I'm consistent over time and I stay the course and I'm consistent with exercise over time, I'm, I'm not, it's not that I can have, yeah. I'm going to have cake. I'm going to have that. I don't like now I'm in a point where it's like, oh, I'm going to eat that. Whereas back in when I was a gymnast, it was like, I'm not going to eat that. Right. I can't eat that. That's right. going to, you know, because I had a poor relationship with food because everything was bad. You yeah. know, and now it's, I do enough exercise, eat cleanly enough that I don't eat, you know, certain carbs or certain things. But when I want to, I do because I know that right. it's not going to be a thing. Whereas when you're at that extreme, all in or all out, mm -mm, right. it's that up and down, up and down, up and down. It makes you feel so bad. It's just you know and it and it lacks the empathy for yourself you're not understanding right. yourself enough to know you're just following rules and regulations and guidance and structure from a diet versus right. you know just eat clean and people hate eating clean because <laughs> they because they think yeah. clean means no fun right and yeah. that's not what that means yeah but you just can't put yourself in that position 90 percent of the time even 90 yeah. percent is better than you know anything 90 percent of the time eat fruits vegetables be good on your complex carbs, not on your, you know, um, refined sugars, refined carbs, all those things. And then once in a while, have your piece of pizza or two, you yeah. know, and not feel guilty or I wonder if I should. Just have that empathy for yourself to go, I'm doing the right thing. It's okay. Yeah. It, the, the only thing I gave up was bread. That was the only thing I gave up. And it was tough, but it was, but in a way, once you get into the, where I got into where for me, it was just, it was, you talked about bargaining, but it was kind of that, that way where it's like my initial thought was 500 calories a day deficit. That's all. Right. Just eat 500 calories less than I burn. Right. And so that got me to the point where if I hit the treadmill, I can eat a little bit. More. I can go have that slice of pizza if I hit right. the treadmill right. and that's bargaining to an extent, but it's still, it's keeping it reined in where you just right. don't go have pizza four times a week. Right. Well, right. It's it's allowing yourself, it's allowing yourself to be within the norm of what you know versus overindulging, overindulging, right. overindulging. So I never restricted. I never felt I was dieting. I never right. felt I was denying myself. Right. You know. Right. Well, so you know, so I know. I mean, uh, on occasion, I'll do like the standard like Marine Corps diet to set myself back into like a check of ketosis and making sure that you know, and it's such a great thing because it feels more natural because I'm not ever when you do that, even though it's it's more of a restrictive if you look at it on calories, it's just one of those things that keeps you away from all the things that would make you crave more, that would make you long for things, make you emotionally dysregulate, agitate, because yeah. it's keeping everything really basic. And and then you're not craving things like bread. I've never been a bread eater. And I'm also, and I said this before, eating bread gives me yeah. Oh, does it? terrible, yeah. awful feeling. So if I do eat a piece of bread, which occasionally I do, because um, I actually like the taste of a bagel. Yeah. I love bagels, oh, but God. they don't love me. Love a bagel. Right? Or, yeah. you know, where I love, in you know, certain things I can eat, but it's it's that thing of I can. It's not that I don't want to, I don't, or I can't because it will make oh. me gain weight. It's more that I just choose based yeah. on how it makes me feel. And that's, again, knowing your knowing your body by having empathy for if i eat that i know i'm going to hurt well maybe that's the difference in bargaining because for me with bread it's like i i can have it and i can eat a piece of bread if i want to it's just i look at it and go man if i'm going to eat those calories i'm going to spend it on something else right you know right. It's, it's not that i'm not going to do it and never going to do it and can't do it i'm not restricting myself it's right. the choice i make based right. on you know based on the the circumstances that are involved Right. You know. Exactly. And and it's, well, this probably sounds strange. It's like, I'd rather, if I saw a piece of bread and or an avocado in front of me, I'd have the avocado. Oh, yeah. And people, and people are like, too. I'd have the bread. And I'm like, right. And it's it's interesting because the brain chemistry, when it looks at a piece of bread, it knows, it sends off the signals in the brain of like, oh, yummy, yeah. self-soothing. But when you know the difference between, like when I look at the avocado, that's what it does for me. I'm like, oh, I love avocados. Yeah. That's what it does. It's a matter of training your brain to go, 
that actually tastes just as good and it has it makes me feel better at the end of it and most yep. people if you if you actually looked and i know they've done some studies on this qualitatively you know just case studies of multiple people talking about it that when they eat bread products or wheat products they don't feel good yeah and it's not even a gluten thing it's just no don't feel good and right. there's a reason if you don't have bread you know what it was like when you stopped it was a little hard but then once you stopped didn't you feel much better yeah right yeah and i, I don't crave it right you know and i like i said i just i if i'm gonna spend those calories it's gonna be on something else right and, and plus when you do indulge though when you do have something very sugary right now it doesn't feel good right i mean it tastes good and then for a while you go, man. You know, but then you regret it. Yeah, I wish then I you regret done it. That. Yeah, <laughs> right. And not, it's not uh, emotional regret. It's not guilt. No, it's the it's, physical. Yeah, no, that didn't sit right. It's the feel, physical yeah. feeling. I mean, I mean, it's, it's funny. Of, and I, I love red meat, and yeah. I still eat red meat, but I don't always, get, you know, sometimes eat the red meat and go, oh man, you know. Yeah, it's just not it's too heavy. Didn't didn't you know. sit well, yeah. or yeah, it's yeah. Sometimes it, and it's it's so interesting because people people just. Um, once they've made a change to a cleaner eating process, by and large, that's what people end up saying is like, because they don't crave that. And that's what, yeah. that's the downside of, you know, the dieting thing is so many diets, they don't get you into a clean lifestyle. They do the bargaining for time, points, right. calories, without really shifting you over to, the, it's a force. Like if you look at it, it's a force of you being choosing things that give you less points or less calories, which by nature gives you a cleaner lifestyle, but it's not saying just eat clean. Don't yeah. eat, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to be so point driven or calorie driven or number on the scale driven if you're just eating clean, but people need that structure because yeah. it makes, you know, it's the fulfillment of the hungry, angry, lonely, tired. It's, it's kind of addressing all that without a person actually having to think it's the person thinking for you it's the program thinking for you because people don't know yeah or they are not motivated to figure it out or they just don't know i mean most people i find just don't have any idea they don't know how to, they don't know their bodies well enough they don't know their mindset well enough they don't know how to make the change they, they don't were, know what they're they were eating taught well enough. this growing up you know yeah. they were given seconds and thirds of pasta three or four pieces of bread yep. then have cookies and dessert afterwards you know and then you know the next night it's you know maybe something a little healthier but oh it's saturday it's you know it's only one time a week and then you rack yep. up you know a kid's meal and they've had you know four treats this week four it's like oh my gosh and you're teaching kids that the empathy for self is food and and that's one of the reasons why you know obesity in children and teenagers in now has been so big in the past yeah. two decades is because empathy is food people you know kids sit play their games yeah. eat it's quick you know run out the door give them it's not it's not an apple it's you know yeah. it's a you know bagel with bacon egg cheese double with gravy sounds good <laughs> <laughs> I right, have it, but it sounds good. Yeah, I yeah. know, but but you can't. But then you wonder, or you don't, why people end up being fifteen, sixteen, twenty, thirty, going, I I'm huge, and I don't know how to lose the weight, or I don't feel good about myself. And well, another thing about self empathy is I see people now. This drives me nuts, but I see people now. Well, they sit there and they will not eat for hours, right? Yeah. And it's like they get to the point where they come to the point where they eat. Like, I'm starved. I have to eat now. And they just eat. And it's like, man, that's not the way to do this. Right. You know, you're not telling your body the right things. The body starts rationing. Your metabolism slows down. You can't function when you're <clears throat> five hours out from your last meal. It's like that kind of self-empathy to understand that it's okay for me to need to eat every few hours. Right. You know, have something. Even every couple hours, graze a little bit. It's okay. You right. Know, but and, people and don't practice that. Well, and I think I think that because so many of the fad things have come out, and and um, you know the, the fasting fads, and, yep. and, and it's not just one. It's like there's 70 different plans to come out with, and people want it, and there's science behind it. It's another one of those dietary things. I mean, there's something to be said. I mean, historically, for centuries, people have been doing fasting, but as a dietary thing. It doesn't typically, if you look at a lot of the science and you'll see a lot of, of, of um, medical professionals talk about that, you know, in, in little spurts of it, it's okay. Then some medical professionals will say it's not really good for you. And the, so it's kind of like the same thing as yeah. dieting and it, and it creates that um, space. Now, I, and I can self-admit that being a gymnast and all that, I, am, I can go a whole day and not eat and it never even phases me. Comfortably? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. But that, but I don't choose to do that now. Like I know, like if I get, and it's not because I'm actively in my head going, don't eat, don't eat. I literally get up, can go the whole, I can go till six, seven o'clock at night and go, huh, I didn't think I ate anything today because it doesn't even register because when I was growing up and I was doing gymnastics, it just didn't register. So I have to actively... But there are people who do that where they haven't eaten for six right. hours and they end up hitting Taco Bell because they're starved. And then and, that's a problem, right? Yeah. And I and I don't do that, right? Yeah. So it's but I but it's that thing of I don't purposely fast, but it comes naturally to me because yeah. that little box in the brain that's up down with the switch, I trained it yeah. to not be on, so I'm not hungry. It doesn't send a signal going, huh? And, but then when I've it does... I've never fasted. That doesn't seem possible to me. You what? I've never fasted. That doesn't seem possible to me. Well, I mean... <laughs> it doesn't it's... seem to be within my reality. <laughs> well, if anything's possible, Lou. Yeah. You can do it. But it's it's a, it's a definitely... Mine was born out of certainly restriction sure. yeah. and, and a lot of other things that we don't need to go on, on the show. But, um, but it ends up not benefiting me now because when I don't eat, I tend to eat later. Yep. which is obviously bad. So if I figure it out and all of a sudden go, oh, or it's dinner time because I, I think I'd never miss dinner. That's the one meal that I'll absolutely always have. Um, then it's usually that, oh, that's when I'll have, and I don't eat, you know, the carbs, So, but I'll have a lot of extra of something. Yep. And by and then by 10, I'm like, hmm, mm-hmm. ice cream sounding good. Yeah. You know, that's, and that, you know, so I have to be really cognizant of making sure that I have self-awareness and self-empathy that, oh, you did this today or, or this is what happened and you shouldn't do that because it's going to make you do that at the end of the day. So it's a constant check, check, check. Whereas most people, I think that I anecdotally have run into in my client base and, and friends, they, they do these things on purpose and then they're starving or they're binging. I have a teenager in my practice right now that starves herself all day. And she gets to nine o'clock at night because she doesn't want her parents seeing what she eats. And then she eats everything under the sun. And and then she feels terrible and doesn't yeah. sleep till four in the morning. And yeah. I mean, so she's in a really bad Ugh. pattern. And it's that it's that direct result of what's going on in her home with her and her family and the stress, even prior to this happening, yeah. where she's doing that. And that's her way of getting a sense of control in her life. So it's self-empathy in a way, but it's to her detriment. Teenagers. Yeah. yeah. And it's and it's and it's because no one's modulating. I mean, she and I are working on how to modulate that and how to change that right. and and fix that and move it around. But man, it's taken. You know, she stopped binging and purging, which is a point. Yeah. But she's not stopped binging. But she had. You know, she's moved some things around. But it's direct relation not not having empathy shown for her and self empathy to know how to manage her life and feel like she's in control because food is such a. Um, factor of I'm in control, not in control. It's the only thing that really kids have in their lives at a young age, whether, you know, they eat or or not. A parent can say, you'll eat that, you'll eat that, you'll eat that. But by and large, kids will end up doing what they want with food. That's like the one place where they have control. control. So you see eating disorders, you know. In a world where they're aching for control, this is one place where they have it. You know, so they're either restricting Mm-hmm. for you know their own power and sense of self or they're or they're overindulging and become obese so you've got the thin and the overweight because of usually some yeah. kind of power struggle within oneself and the family dynamic which is a whole nother show yeah i got know? a whole nother show too there's a teenager sleeping 13 hours to one in the afternoon and hitting a red bull like first thing i know it's like I know, I know, and and a cup and a cup of coffee can't at sleep. Starbucks well, with the seventy-five cars in line with the double yeah. shot for ten dollars. Yeah, oh god, <laughs> I can't sleep. Well, what do you expect? You just slept thirteen hours and hit a Red Bull when you right. You know, you, yeah. No wonder you're sleeping. And not is a small up. Red Bull, but like yeah. the big giant Jabunga cans. Yeah, right. First thing. I know. It's like you just slept for thirteen hours. I know, and then they yeah. say, "I need it." I don't sleep well. I, I, well, what's even better? I can't better? imagine why. <laughs> well, another. I mean, a whole another show on that is 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 they the a kid or people, but a kid will do that, and then and then they have ADHD. I always yeah. love that, and the parents are like, "What?" And I'm like, "Oh my god." Yeah. You know, they they get up, they have their medication at one o'clock in the afternoon, which should have been taken at seven or eight o'clock in the morning, and they have the Red Bull on top of it. So yeah. they take a little like methylphenidate or Ritalin. Or or Concerta or Adderall, whatever they take, then have the big Red Bull. Superstar. And then and then they don't go to bed till 2 in the morning because right. they took the med at 1 in the afternoon. And parents are saying, why is that? Why does that happen? I'm like, hmm. 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 Things that make you go, hmm. 
<laughs> wake them up, give them a pill, let them go back to sleep if they want to, but wake exactly. them up and get them the pill. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right. All right. So, so, so we, we were talking about empathy and sympathy, but it came, it kind of morphed into self-empathy, which I think is an important concept yes. here. Self-care and people, everyone rolls their eyes when you say that. And people often feel too guilty to do it, but right. particularly now you need some self-care because if you're not in good shape, everything's going down, especially you talk about the moms who want to kill the kids. Yeah. If, you, if you're allowing yourself to get to that point, things are going to suffer. Yes, exactly. So, right, because you're, yeah. you're, not, you're not regulating for self. Right. Because people do, it, by nature, it, you know, and especially in our culture, we tend to be guilt-ridden if we're doing for self. Right. But we're actually in a trend shift in the past, like, at least 20 years of people going towards more... Um, healthy, mindful, meditative, yeah. Ayurvedic self-care, and everyone's really knows about it, but then to actually do it or implement it or say they're doing it in practice is a lot harder. And also people feel like it's too much time. And I said this to a client yesterday that the amount of time it took you to get to where you are with all the stuff you did with the negative stuff, right. that it's the same thing as if you'd put the same amount of time in to get the the other way and if you right. feel better why wouldn't you put that time in it just the other one felt like it came more automatically and so natural but you actually had to work at being negative yeah. too yeah. you had to work at being miserable yeah the, <laughs> your problem built up over a 10 15 year period and it right. didn't go away in two weeks exactly. it's not working and, but people yeah. want that yeah people people want the the uh, you know immediate quick fix and it's you know just not like that no right it's not. i mean people always say well is there is there a pill for that no, there's not. <laughs> so really quickly before we go, I, I see um, someone that I have as a student many a few years ago that was asking a quick question, and this is on everybody's mind that we didn't get to, but yeah. um, um, we, we can talk about it, I'm sure, by next week because I'm sure it will spin up. You see the question, yeah. right? Yeah. Gronk and Brady went to Tampa Bay and the Buccaneers. Yeah. And, yeah, this, this isn't a surprise. I mean, it's not a surprise to me because of what I do for a living yeah. with, with people in the – sports world and particularly football. Um, so, you know, I've been just telling people since yesterday to embrace the fact that this isn't a surprise, it, you know, and and people have, you know, people have to live their lives. And I know, you know, yes, they were Patriots and yeah, they did a great thing for the Patriots team and they've done yep. wonderful things for football. And why isn't everybody Pollyanna to be able to say that everyone should have what they want to make them happy? I mean, Gronk, it was pretty mainstream knowledge that Gronk wasn't physically well you know in terms of all the injuries he had he needed a break and he right. it wasn't a surprise that he wasn't not going to come back he he said he might come back he might come out of retirement this you know and it never was implied that he was coming back to new england no and and he's been really clear i mean he's been bouncing all over the country doing you know wrestling and all these yeah. other things i mean this is and none of that has gone particularly well so, right and you don't think he was getting the the rush the feedback that he gets from being a professional athlete right and yeah. and and knowing and knowing gronk and knowing like some of the things that i know about him and 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 stuff like that that he's he's a really um self-care guy he's he comes from a family like that his brothers are yep. like that they all like he took a step back to help himself and i know that's disappointing to a lot of people but he's kind of a great example and so is tom brady of what we're talking about today so it was a great question that they both step back and do self-care they do what's right for them as much as people are going to give them a hard time and they're traitors and they left it they're doing what's right for them and if you had you know take it into your own family life or your own life for your you would do what's right for you yep. you would do what's right for you and you know i wish them both well I mean, you know, I'm down in Tampa all the time. Hmm. <laughs> Conveniently that I'm down in Tampa all the time. Yeah. Um, so for some other work that I do as well down there, and I, I do some work uh, in the past with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and uh, with um, some athletes with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not with the association per se. But oh, um, so, yeah. so I, I certainly will have things, I'm sure, to keep us posted. But I think it's a good thing for them. And as much as it's disappointing to Patriots fans, you know, like, don't don't, don't jump off the cliff on this one and, and get all well, Tom, upset. It, not to pull us on too much longer, but Tom was at the point where your uh, client was at, was like, he was ready to kill the children. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you know? He was done. Yeah, he was done. Yeah. Yeah. For and, whatever and, reason, I mean, and, right? And and Rob, Rob too. I mean, he was physically injured. He was he was not loving football anymore. The experience, yep. the intensity, and people. I don't know if they realize this, but the intensity of playing at the level of the Patriots, and not saying that all the football teams in the NFL aren't at the intense level, but there's a difference between 
the Patriots. Yeah. And whatever other organization in the NFL. Right. There just is. And obviously, I can't go into all the ins and outs of that from some of the clients that I have. But trust me on this, that being in that limelight versus being, you know, in the Jets or, you know, Mahomes or whoever you want to put in there, there's a limelight, but it's not quite the same. And people don't see that. So there's a lot of pressure. And this is one of the things as a sports psychologist that I work on with athletes at that level. There's so much pressure that people on the outside talk about having self-empathy and observation and empathy from the outside. People don't see that about the impact on family, the impact on relationships, day-to-day life that, you know, people don't see, you know, people are like, oh, they're off for this part of the season. There's never off. Right. There's, there's little vacations and people are like, oh, look, Tom and Giselle are in, in the Bahamas or they're off to Hawaii for two weeks. Yeah, but they're still on when they're off. It's kind of like, you know, yep. people say, Kim, you never take a vacation because when I do take a vacation, I'm never on vacation because wherever I go, I'm always working. Right. Like if I'm in Tampa, there's always things that I'm doing in Tampa. If I'm in, in, you know, in California, I'm always doing something that's related to something in work. It's everything's involved. Same for them. And a lot of athletes don't do that. But when you're talking about the specific Patriots that we're talking about or many of the team of the New England Patriots, that's how they are. Yep. And so the intensity and the need for change after all those years it doesn't surprise me, and it's actually a good thing for them. And I think that's how one could look at it instead of it being like, oh, they're doing it to me, to us. Yeah. No, they're doing a thing for them, and that's okay. And it'll be very interesting when they play each other. Next year. Yeah. No, I mean, not the upcoming yeah. year, the year after. Right, right. Assuming, but it'll be very assuming interesting. Assuming everyone's healthy and still playing, yeah. I know. I know people are already asking me, what do you think? I'm like, okay, <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> we haven't even gotten anywhere yet. We just This just happened, so. Yeah. But, yeah, but I, I do wish them great luck, and I'm I'm sure I'll be hearing lots and talking about it lots and, you know, in the field. So it is it is the field. So, all right, you guys, everything is um, good for today, I think. Yes. Have a great day. Do a couple good things in your head about what's happy, healthy, and awesome about the day. Do something and, for yourself today. And do something for yourself. Except eating. Except, yeah, stop eating. Don't stop eat. Stop eating. No do, eating. Do something for Stay yourself. Stay out of the cake aisle. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guys, have a great week.